Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Scuba. Welcome to the show. I'm Scuba. This is the Not A Diving podcast. Okay, a few weeks ago on the show, we welcomed Sam Valenti, who runs the Ghostly label. And our guest this week is also part of that organization, although he's more well known as an artist and a DJ, but probably more as a recording artist, as a musician. It's Matthew Deer. Now, Matthew has contributed to Hot Flush in the form of an amazing remix that he did for one of my tracks as part of the Claustrophobia album, or rather the remix album that came out of the main album. And he's just an extraordinarily talented person. He's done all kinds of different stuff. Uh, His techno output, I guess it's techno, it's sort of minimal inflected techno, I suppose. He does under the name Audion, and uh, there's a recent single under that name in the last few weeks, which was the first one for a good long while. So that's worth checking out. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. In fact, I'll just stick it in the playlist, actually. Uh, I do plug the Spotify playlist for the show, but usually sort of in passing. So yeah, that's a reason to go and check out that Spotify playlist. Link in the show notes to that playlist, as always. But like I said, he's released all kinds of stuff too, mostly through the Ghostly label or their other affiliated labels. So... It's just really good to have him on to talk about general things. We have a slightly unusual conversation for this show. It's a lot more conversational than usually. Actually, it's more like a return conversation, I think. We get into some topics which are definitely not usually covered on the show, but this is no weaker for it. Actually, this is a really fun episode and I really enjoyed having the conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it too. So let's dive into it, shall we? Just before we do that, reminder, you can follow us on Patreon. You can support us on Patreon in exchange for a pretty small amount of money. You get bonus stuff and the knowledge that you're supporting the best 
music podcast around, maybe. <laughs> the best music conversations podcast around, arguably. And you can do it at patreon.com slash scuba official. Follow that Spotify playlist that I just mentioned before. That's also a good thing to do. And if you can't do the Patreon, by the way, then that's completely fine. Just leave us a review or a rating. Hit the five-star button wherever you listen to this podcast. And you can also join the Discord server if you want to. That doesn't necessarily mean joining the Patreon. Hotflushercoins.com slash Discord is the community that we have talking about this and other stuff. So yeah, we'd love to see you there. Hotflushercoins.com slash Discord, as I said. Right, I'm going to shut up. And without further delay, here is Matthew Deer. Matthew dear, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Where are you at the moment? I'm at home in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yeah, I was um I was reading up on you <laughs> this <laughs> afternoon. Um you used to live in upstate New York, is that right? I did for a bit. So we we started a label here in Ann Arbor actually, and then um Maybe around 2007, I moved to New York, like Brooklyn. We did that for a while. And then I guess at the end of that run, my wife and I moved upstate for about two years, uh, kind of living the uh, the idyllic version in our heads of what living in upstate New York would be like. You know, I had, had all the Bob Dylan albums ready to go and <laughs> <laughs> tuned up my acoustic guitars. And it was fun for about two years. And then we had our first child and realized, man, we don't know anybody out here. We're in the middle of nowhere. And so we decided to come back to Ann Arbor where we kind of uh, began uh, the label. And, and uh, it's it's an awesome place. It's a university town, very, very well-rounded kind of mix of lots of different people from all over the world come here for the university and for, uh, for all the resources here. And it's a great place to raise kids. A little cold in the winter, but not bad. Right. Sure. So you, you actually teach at the University of Michigan, I believe. Yeah, I do a, a one credit course at the School of Music, Theater and Dance at U of M. Um, I just started my, I think, sixth uh, semester, uh, sixth year. I do, I do one one course uh, a fall per fall. And it's basically just on the recording industry and, and all the kind of modern pitfalls and challenges that you know, most young people might face in terms of just trying to get your music online, streaming, uh, royalties, uh, you name it, you know, all that, all that kind of ins and outs, the stuff that we, we deal with kind of regularly over the years, dealing with a label like yourself and, and myself, um, licensing and all that, and just kind of try to make it a bit more digestible and interesting. I think fun for a lot of kids out there that are trying to do it or curious about doing it, figuring out, okay, how, how can I do this? And what are some of the things I can learn about it? Yeah, I mean, when I read that about you, I was, well, I mean, I just wondered immediately, like, how does one become a university professor? <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's all who you know. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> I, got, I got very lucky. I got very lucky. Um, Jeremy Peters was kind of the, um, he was one of the heads of, of the ghostly uh, licensing and, and sync department. Uh, he worked in the office for a long time at our label, Ghostly. And he... Uh, was entering the world of academia and, and at the beginning of his kind of journey, he had uh, created a course there at the school of music, theater and dance. And then when I moved back to Ann Arbor, like we were talking about uh, a few years ago, maybe 2014, he was moving on. He actually went to do some more programs uh, and learn more about his end of things and was moving up in the stratosphere of, of academia and music uh, education. And so he asked me if I wanted to take over the course, uh, 
I had just moved back into town and I had expressed interest, you know, that I kind of wanted to get into that thing or that side of things and just right time, right place. And he, he handed it off to me and I've kind of had it ever since. What did you study actually in the first place? I'm a cultural anthropology major. Um, really? Back wow. in undergrad. Yeah, I've got a, got a degree from anthro. And it's funny because I always kind of joked that if the music thing didn't work out, I would just try to write like a, a research paper about the kind of DJ culture and <laughs> electronic music. <laughs> about your music career not working out. Uh, yeah, about everything I learned, you know, <laughs> like just chalk it all up to uh, research uh, the anthropology department. And it's funny because I, since, since all that, I mean, now recently I've been... Uh, you know, like everybody else, I'm I'm very much uh, uh, in in use with social media and, and everything. And I said, you know, I'm always on YouTube and social media. Like, there's such a cultural thing happening here. Like, I wonder if there is like a a, a technological anthropology anthropology kind of side of things opening up. So I googled it, and of course, there is. It's it's actually called techno anthropology. That's one of the names. Um, and unfortunately, it's not just techno music anthropology, but it's anything that's kind of uh, dissecting and analyzing the, the humans and their use of, of technology and, and the way we interact socially. So that that might be another element to my uh, research paper. <laughs> when all the gigs dry up, you know, it's like that would be my, my last saving grace. Well, where were you at school? Which, uh, which you know? At the University of Michigan here. Um, oh, you were? Okay. Yeah, so yeah, you're, uh, my right. album monitor back. Got it. Okay. And, and you're from that area originally, I believe. Yeah, I grew up in Texas um, first. Oh, did I, you? Oh, yeah, okay. I yeah, I grew up in South Texas. And then um, when I was about 16, my mom kind of got a job up here in, in Michigan and asked, hey, are you okay with we just like jump ship at the end of your high school, try something else? And I was like, yeah, totally. I mean, I came from a big school in Texas, San Antonio. I think there's like 800 kids in a class. and it's just like right. massive, massive grades. And it felt like a community college. and I was just starting to like get into music and and kind of realizing that I was maybe a bit more of an outsider, uh, you know, in terms of my my thinking, and you know, I was kind of like definitely up for a change. And uh, I was like, yeah, let's do it. So uh, we all moved up to to Michigan and ended up in Lake Orion, Michigan, uh, uh, which is about maybe forty five miles north of Detroit. Finished two years of high school there, and then ended up going to University of Michigan uh, after that. And funny side note, uh, Seth Troxler is actually from Lake Orion as well. So we're uh, right. We're, we're we're dragons, Lake Orion dragons. Um, and uh, he was definitely a few years younger than me, but I remember uh, bonding over our uh, our uh, high school. <laughs> I think we're the same age, actually. So sixteen would have made it. Yeah. Don't don't say it out loud. <laughs> Let's just say we're the same age. <laughs> okay. So. Um, I'm going to give it away now, though, because what I was going to say was um. 95 that's the year right yeah so like were you into electronic music were you into all that stuff already so i got lucky my brother i have an older brother by nine years and he he uh somehow in texas he found all of this kind of new wave industrial music um and i mean small town like san antonio looks like a, a metropolis compared to where he was and i asked him once i said how'd you get all this music and he said a, f- uh, a friend of theirs like their friend group these two twins went to tokyo for a trip and they brought back all these like maxi cds and compact discs of um all the remixes of like nitzer ebb and depeche mode and front 242 and you know mtv had just kind of broken on and this is like 85 or something and they just all fell in love with this like new wave movement that was happening in in 
music with synthesizers and everything. So, so as a eight year old at that point, listening to my, my brother's big into like the stereo system and, and he was just old enough not to be like, a, like a jackass, you know, he was like, he was a nice <laughs> old brother, like, cause we had that nine year gap. So I think he kind of took me under his wing and instead of most older siblings might be like, Hey, like, don't touch my stuff. Like he was kind of like, yeah, you know, you can play these, these records, these vinyl, like on my system, but just be careful with it. And so I started playing like front two, four, two and like headhunter. And, um, I w- went back in his stash. Like I remember 15 years ago and I found like French kiss, like original pressing. Um, then it said like, had a sticker on, on the vinyl it said like the smash hit of the Miami music conference, 1988 or something like uh, on. No and I was like, man, like I was listening to this stuff when I was like nine or 10. Like, it's so cool. Um, and I had no idea. I just, I knew I loved like synthetic music and I loved anything with like drum machines and synthesizers. And I've talked about it before, but like, you know, Herbie Hancock's rocket, like that video, like just blew my mind. Like I remember seeing that on MTV and just thinking like, wow, like I want to, I want to live in that world. Like that's, that's the reality that I like really want to be a part of. Um, so something about it just like drew me to it. Like the, the synthesis of it all and just the, 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 I guess the cyberpunk like vision in my head at that age. And so when I moved to Detroit, um, near, near Detroit, things got a lot more electronic, you know, like radio was just hip hop and, and kind of, uh, uh, like late night techno on, on the radio stations. And I started thinking, Oh, cool. Like this is kind of like the stuff that I'm, I'm getting into. I think chemical brothers had just got kind of, Broken on MPV, Daft Punk, Homework had just come out. So I was starting to get some of these little pieces of everything, but I still didn't necessarily know about like a dance culture or like a movement. Uh, and then, yeah, like sophomore year, of, uh, freshman year of, of college, I um, started seeing all these rave flyers everywhere and they looked really cool and looked really fun. And finally, like a friend, friend group of mine, like, hey, we're going to Detroit. We're going to this party with these DJs. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, so I went. And yeah, I mean, same stories, 90, 90% of us, you know, just things weren't the same after that. Kind of just everything clicked. Light bulb went off and I realized, okay. And I, I didn't do any drugs or anything. I was just kind of like, I was enjoying like the, the scene and the movement of it. And just, just the scene isn't like what I saw. Um, I remember like leaving at, you know, sunrise and walking out of the, the warehouse in Detroit and just kind of thinking like, wow, like that, this is, this is like, I'm in control. Like, you grow up for the first time you're kind of like you know i, I have no curfew I, I like i i choose to be somewhere and i choose to do something with my my attention span and and this is what i want to choose to do you know like this is a, a thousand people dancing like in a dark warehouse uh to like a dj experience like that it all clicked you know four four music clicked that night um you know before that i think i was still a bit more into like I use Daft Punk's homework as like a litmus test. Like the more, the more I got into like dance music, I was like, Oh, okay. Now I like this song a bit more or now, I, now I know half the names from teachers, you know? Um, and then like slowly like, Oh yeah. And, oh, Jeff Mills. Like he's on there. Like, you know, you start, you start hearing all the names that make sense. Um, it's a good, it's a good test of how, how deep you're in. <laughs> so what year would that have been? The, the rave experience? 2000 maybe like 99. Um, Right, right at the okay. time, I got lucky. Like it's, there was a great rave scene in Detroit, like right around the end of the '90s, early 2000s. I think that's when it peaked. You know, um, we were going like under the bridge, this big giant bridge that goes to Canada, and um, there was a big like kind of uh, industrial lot under there. So outdoor parties, 
Um, and of course, the it was called the Ambassador Bridge. And at some point, the lights had been burned out. So it said base on it. Uh, it was just base. Um, so you're like at a rave in Detroit on the river, surrounded by like chain link fence with like Terry Mullen, Charles Fieldgood, DJ Dan, um, all these like, rave icons of the American rave scene. Um, you know, 1,500, 2,000 people. And a base bridge is over you. And you're just like, this is it, you know? Like, wow. <laughs> like I'm, I'm having a good time. I mean, at what point did you, I mean, I didn't intend to uh, start off like this, but I mean, I've got a question I want to pivot to in a sec, but just, just the last one on this, like at what point did you realize the, like, did, what point did you become aware of the heritage of where you were living? Like how old were you when you realized that you were at kind of, you know, ground zero perhaps? Yeah. Um, that's a good question. You know, it, it's hard to pinpoint exactly when, but, I can say that, and I've I've always said and noticed and, and respected this. There is like an awareness in Detroit. You know, if you're here, um, if you don't know about like the musical heritage and and not only techno, but but if you can go back to Motown and like MC Five and Stooges, you know, there's so many like eras of great Michigan Detroit music, and it's like when you know that the bartender at the at the at the bar probably knows more about music than you do um and, and but there's like that like respect you know and it, you have to like pay homage to that and if you don't like you'll be laughed off of the stage or you'll, you'll be kicked out you know it's like there's no there's no room for for posers or um you know people that are just trying to like milk the system or you know so i think that that becomes very apparent like quickly um you, you don't mess around like in Detroit with, with like the musical heritage and, and it's something you always have to keep very close to you because it's, you know, it's, 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 it's just being aware of that, um, appropriation of, you know, uh, space and, 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 uh, you know, a city, uh, you know, a, a backdrop. And as you, you know, as you learn about all the, you know, atrocities and just cultural, uh, kind of uh imperfections that have happened over the years you, you start to realize that detroit had many of those um there's there's a lot of hardship still in the city uh so i think it's 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 a it's a good place to, to try and i guess do your thing because it, keep, it keeps you real and it keeps you uh, keeps you uh respectful i think totally um okay so I wanted to start off talking about AI, actually. So, <laughs> yeah, um, because mostly because actually, this is this is a uh, full disclosure. This is not the first podcast I've recorded today. Okay. And on my previous podcast, I forgot to ask the important question I had about AI. So I'm gonna, I wanted to make sure I remember, <laughs> remembered to. Well, I'm big into AI, so I can talk all about. Oh, you that. are, you are. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is good news. Yeah. This is good news. So then, if you're big into it, then tell me what your broad. Yeah, yeah. View is it's, so I've been, I've been dabbling with OpenAI software and OpenAI platforms since before you know ChatGPT and you know I think I think like most of us I, I started hearing the kind of the the, the art generation uh, features that were like kind of uh, making making waves maybe two years ago um, and yeah I was I was I've always like dabbled in, in digital art of some sort but more recently more than than the past but. You know, I I never saw it as, as I guess not being a bona fide visual artist or not being a you know I am a musician, but mu- music's been like the l- latter half of the AI kind of um, 
target target zone. Um, I I don't. I've never been afraid of it. I've never been. I guess I don't allow. I don't give it the privilege to to be bigger than thou. Um, you know, I. It's all coming from information that has been fed it from the internet, you know, or, or from data that humans have produced. So I always thought, like, look, I mean, if you're upset that the AI can do better art than you, then you know you have to make something new that it hasn't had access to because you know all it is is sampling humans. You know, it's it's sampling human output and just kind of conjuring something new out of it but but it needs that source material so it's like okay if you're pissed off then make better source material than than the ai can get um that's that's kind of the first argument and then you know when you get down to like the security reasons and like everybody's worried about you know falling into the wrong hands and all that of course that's that's a very viable threat and it's a very viable concern i do think a lot of people recently that were kind of calling for the halting of you know the advancement. I think that a lot of those people were just pissed off. Yeah, yeah. They, I don't think they got there fast enough, and they were just upset they didn't make the money that um, you know Microsoft paid to OpenAI. And, yeah, and, it just seems unrealistic, right? Yeah, and it was, it was a little too like, come on, like for real. Um, not that being said, it's like yeah, if some bad actors get it, then like and and they they unleash it onto uh, access points that. OpenAI is not giving ChatGPT, then yeah, there's definitely going to be some problems. But th- that's always the case. Um, I, the best analogy I heard recently was, um, you know, a, a shovel's a tool. For example, like AI is a tool. A shovel's a tool. I can take a shovel and, and hit you over the head with it, and that's not the, that's not the right use of the shovel. Um, but should we ban all shovels from the world? Of course not. You know, um, same thing with AI. It's like, yeah, you can you can do some really stupid stuff with this, or you can you can use it to make terrible art uh, at a rate that's uh, insurmountable. Like it can pass everybody, but you know, is that is that really worth it, or is it really worth your time? It's still up to the user to to do it the right way. I've made like cool lyric kind of runs with it. Like I've, I did an ambient piece, and I was like, just I had an idea. I'm like, okay, I wanna I wanna have it write a series of haikus that all trail. Uh, in words from the previous haiku, uh, but they like share like the last line has um, words from the previous line of the haiku, but then the next line does like I said, make it sound like a paddle wheel of like a riverboat where the water kind of like falls from one paddle to the next. So make a haiku that kind of represents that and the words are like the water and they're all kind of part of the thing before it. And just in, you know, 10 seconds, like, it's like, here you go. Uh, And so I had this like, Awesome. And I, oh, I gave it the feeder words. Like I want it to be about love and kind of uh, warmth and, and empathy and energy. Like kind of gave it this very like mantric uh, like set of words. And it was really cool. It was like, it was just very random, but just enough of that connection from the previous haiku. And so I fed that into um, uh, Amazon web services has a, a voice generator called Polly that I love uh, AWS. So you can feed it text and it's got like five or six neural voice um, generators that can make really cool. Like you can pick like Indian accent, um, little boy, little girl, and they sound pretty. Like they're they're definitely fake, but they sound very like eerily real. And so I gave those haikus to the Indian woman voice, um, and I sampled that and then put it on this ambient track that I was working on for this live show. And it did exactly what I wanted to. It was, it was this like cyclical mantric um, like poem round that 
was perfect. And like, I could never have done that. You know, maybe <laughs> I, mean, like, I, I could have, but it, it wouldn't have been as easy or as fast. And I think those are, those are uses that I enjoy, you know, let's, let's use it as a tool. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I have logic open right now. I was doing some stuff before you, you, you know, we connected and it's like, come on, we like the drummer, the auto drummer, transposers, scales, arpeggiators. These are all versions of AI. You know, we've, we've been using AI and music for a very long time. Um, quantization is AI. <laughs> you know, it's, um, there's, there's randomness, randomness generators. There's so much. It's just gotten very good. And I think that's what kind of scares people sometimes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely on board with all of that. <laughs> what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I'm trying to maintain an open mind here. Let, let me fire another couple of questions at you. Okay. okay, okay. Yeah. Um, where did you stand on the like IP, like the copyright slash IP protectionist versus kind of everything should be free question? Yeah. Where did you, where do, where do you stand on that issue? Um, I'm not too much. It seems to be so much of a, uh, kind of like hot battleground, but I mean, did, yeah. when it was, where did you come down? Um, I, I, I like getting paid, you know, I like, I like earning <laughs> for, for things that I, I do. Um, I'm, I've never been, I think that that lies more in like a political thing, you know? Well, I mean, I so say, let, let me give you an example. Well, 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 let me just point out the, the example that is, that is commonly, commonly used, which is sampling. Right. And the yeah. kind of history of the you know, history of sample based music is a history of people not really getting, you know, compensated fairly. Mm-hmm. Right. So I suppose that that's the kind of like context that it would be, it would be put in. Right. Oh yeah. But yeah, you were about to say regulation and yeah, I guess that is a question of regulation. Well, I, I've, I'm, I, you're talking to artists who's I've, I've cleared samples, you know, well ahead of time, you know, my last, uh, I think beams, my album had maybe four songs that had like very, heavy loop based the backbones and and it was difficult you know we we it's hard to find like the label and talk to somebody for an old disco song or something you know um and then of course when they finally get a hold when we got a hold of them they like wanted like astronomical amounts and it's like come on like i'm just i'm trying to play fair and i'm trying to use you know a loop without that you guys probably would never even know that i used so almost in the opposite way it became more of a headache and you know, I still get my royalty statements. I can see like, you know, the X amount of money that is not being paid because I'm sharing it with, um, some obscure, you know, disco label. Um, so I, I have done that, but I've also used samples that weren't cleared. Um, so, so I kind of know both sides of it. Uh, I'm all for, if you have the resources, like paying for it, you know, and, and making it, um, making it a fair, a fair thing. I think there's really cool. Like I just joined Tracklib. Have you heard of this? Um, so tracklib.com, I believe, uh, is a new, yeah, tracklib.com sample, real original music. So legally sample and license 100,000 plus recordings from all genres, decades and regions subscribe now for five ninety nine a month. Um, so they've got like, like old jazz stuff. It's, it's kind of like record digging digitally. And they have a different tiers. So they've got like a, like a C class, uh, you know, A class, B class. And whenever you use the sample, like in a recording, um, it's all like built in to that, that tier strategy. Like, so you know exactly how much you're going to pay. Um, so that, I think that's a really cool version of it. Um, that's, that might be like kind of more of the future. I'm, I'm all for that. 
but yeah, it's like, it's, it's so tough. You know, there's this whole new thing now realizing, you know, what you're sampling as well. Like, you know, I'm, I'm I still, I, I can't play like songs with um, like African tribal stuff. Like, I think that's, that's stepping over a line. Um, you know, it's, it's hard for me to, to, to feel when it, when it's that obviously like cultural appropriation. Um, I mean, that's a slightly different question, I guess, because that would depend on who, who owns the copyright and what the label is, doesn't it? I would, I would, that would be my instinct there. Yeah. Right? Or, or even if it's just like a, like a library, like, you know, recording of an old, you know, tribal gathering of people chanting. Because then you, so you start getting into like, okay, well, what are they saying? And like a lot of those are like ritualistic songs and, uh, you know, native indigenous music wasn't really made or recorded or played to, um, it wasn't like pop music, you know, they were doing it for ritualistic purposes. And, and you start to think, okay, well, could this have been like a, a war chant or like a, a, a death mourning song or something, you know? Right. So right. I think we have to be really careful when we start to get that kind of sample use, um, regardless of legality or if you're paying for it. Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a separate question. And, and yeah. I know, I mean, certainly not a, a less important one, but yeah. I guess. You went off a- on a tangent, Paul. <laughs> 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 so yeah, pay when you can. Um, but I mean, come on. It's like if you're 20 years old and you don't have any money, then steal a sample. It's like, I don't care. You know? Um, let me ask another question about that directly. I mean, say if say there was a like a strictly enforced regulatory framework around all that, and say hypothetically it had been in force from 1980 or whenever you know whatever the date is that um, you know sampling became fairly commonplace. I mean, do you have a? I'm, I'm asking you. This is, I'm putting you on the spot here, but um, stick with me. Do you have a kind of intuition as to how that might have affected the music that got made Absolutely. in that era? Oh my gosh, I think it would be a lot different. I mean, because we're talking about hip hop, you know, like uh, absolutely. But but what would it have been? That's that's my question. I, obviously, it would have been different. But do you have a, a sense about where? Maybe people would have gone more like African babata, you know, like like gone straight to the drum machines, right? Um, right. You know, maybe it would have just been a bit more techno from the from the beginning because they were all you know sampling craft work and all that. Uh, you know, in the beginning, obviously the breaks and everything as well, like Cool Herc teaching and getting like that moment. Uh, so yeah, this it's tough. I, I I don't think we would be in the same world if if that kind of um, like legal clamping would have happened early on. I mean, if you're listening to like Paul's Boutique, like the, the Beastie Boys record, uh, they've got like Sgt. Pepper samples and stuff. <laughs> right. It's like, it's, there's no, no fear, you know, in, in that regard. Um, so yeah, definitely would not have had any of those albums. Sure. Okay. So uh, another AI question. Yeah. yeah. Well, AI is actually, they're, they're, have you heard about the new algorithms that are cracking down on samples? Uh, I think there's a whole new. Right. The label-based yeah. side, where they're starting to get these very fine-tuned sample detectors, um, and that might completely just squash all of this. Yeah. Um, so, my, but my question was going to be: uh, How do you feel about your music being used to train large language models? Um, my music's so weird and off-putting that it probably wouldn't help anybody. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I I don't care. It's like, come on. You know what? It's it's funny because I've asked that to quite a lot of people, not on the show, but actually mostly 
you know, just socially in conversation mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's a really common answer. It's that people have a, um, it, it's a, <laughs> it seems to be, well, very common to, to sort of like have a, it's a very self-deprecating view of your own output, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and just like, well, you know, what, what could a large language model possibly do with, with little me, you know, <laughs> you know, but, but, but of course the aggregate is what's important, right? Oh, I'm, I'm basically doing the same thing for all the music I've ever heard. It's just happening in my brain, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm at certain album phases, like, you know, I'd only listen to like talking heads and like when I put out Asa Breed or like a 2007 and then Black City, it was like, all I was listening to was like Gary Newman and, and, um, you know, uh, Brian Eno and stuff like, so in my head, I'm basically just hearing all of that music and okay, well, what's my version of that? You know, like, how can I kind of reinterpret it and, and make something that I do and, and including samples actually. Um, so yeah, it's like, I think I don't want to like, I'm not trying to say like my music's not worthy of sampling. I just, I don't want to be so, um, obtuse <laughs> in thinking that, you know, the buck stops here. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm, I'm just as much a conduit of cultural, um, reinterpretation as a language model might be. Sure. Okay. I mean, I guess the difference is that, you know, potentially someone's going to become a billionaire or multiple people are going to become billionaires off the back of. Dude, nobody's going to become a billionaire off of my music though. Um, but, but yeah, they partially, are right? Partially. Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna be contributing to it in the same way that your data is contributed to the advertising models that have made, you know, Mark Zuckerberg et al. Yeah. Billionaires. Yeah, I mean maybe it's just it's all working, you know. Maybe the the wool has been pulled so far over my eyes that maybe <laughs> maybe I'm just <laughs> okay. not, you know, uh, getting as maybe they've got me already. Um <laughs> It's kind of like, yeah, it's it's like the you know the Russian models. Like once the people have been lied to, they they kind of just give up all hope. Um, that's it's kind of like they, they've admitted that that was like the plan. It's like just like you know confuse and distract. Um, and yeah, it's like I did I did read. Um, have you ever heard of uh, was it Life was it Life Lock or Life Page or something? Hmm. There was a, there was a DARPA program, a defense uh, program from the United States. Uh, that was being built um, up until like a day or the month before Facebook came out. Mm. Uh, and they basically like, they, they squashed it right before Facebook started. And it was basically the government's version of Facebook. Right. And um, there's a New York times article on it being canceled. Um, and when you hear the voice and, and kind of the, uh, the way the the writer talks about this idea of having all of your personal information, online and, and accessible and, and tracked and you know in his tone in the night like 94 or no sorry 2004 or something it sounds so scary and threatening and, and you realize oh man like we all used to kind of think like that like we all had this natural aversion to um sharing everything and, and having it all out there so yeah i think that maybe that's what i'm i'm kind of getting soft on that that end too you know um with my music yeah i mean a lot of it depends upon what the authority in charge of it is gonna what, what, how they're gonna behave right because i think in well i mean certainly the, the more recent stuff i've read about chinese state capitalism using these kinds of tools it sounds pretty unpleasant and pretty pretty scary you know um and i think we we are sl- tiktok 
Well, I mean, <laughs> right, yeah. But I think, you know, to, to that extent, I think we are, you know, beholden to the extent to which government is going to re- regulate responsibly. But let, let me, hang on, I've, I've got another question about this, yeah. a specific question, which is, um, you know, going back to the last one about your own, uh, well, the, the use of your own output and, and re- related to regulation, should, should the government step in to give you the option whether to be used or not, like should there be a um, a government imposed kind of tick box which you can click to opt in or opt out of you know being uh, scraped as it were? Yeah, do you think it would be real though? I mean, I feel like well, it's hypothetically the- speaking, if it was, I mean, like let, let's just let's just imagine that Congress is extraordinarily functional and is is populated entirely by responsible fifty five year old people who uh, just want to do do right by the little guy. I would never. I think <laughs> I would just uh, come on. It's like if 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 people care that much, you got to take your own you know actions. You have to you have to find your own ways of scraping yourself from the internet or or, or blocking yourself or you know going incognito. I would, you can't trust the government for anything like that. <laughs> okay. Okay. The bottom line. I'm sorry. It's. I'm. I'm just. I guess I'm just completely. Uh, I've thrown in the towel uh, on that. On on hoping that the government or any government's going to really have any of my better interests in in mind. I mean, that's probably reasonable. Yeah. When do we When do we talk about aliens fall? That's when it gets real. Hey, okay. What is your What is your opinion of the uh, recent uh, congressional hearings on the? Well, I used to think I, I, I hoped I was, I was really a big hoper. I was, I was very much into the idea of uh, there being um, visitors and experiences that we've all kind of been hearing about being real. But when the government starts to tell you that it's happening, then. <laughs> You have <laughs> to kind of start. It's bullshit. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, then you start going the other way. You're like, oh shit, it's not real. I'm like, god damn it. <laughs> um, so, do you think that guy, the guy uh, giving evidence, is a plant? Is that your? Plant? He's a plant, but but I don't know what, what what's the plant for. You know what what's the distraction for? That's that's the real question. You know, it's it's all a distraction. There there's 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 control of of material and and content. Uh, on pretty much every social media platform, as as we've seen, seen from the Twitter files and all that, but but also if you go to like YouTube, I remember I was actually in Berlin, um, maybe like twelve years ago, um, and it was when it was when like the whole like flat Earth thing was like everywhere, mm-hmm. and I remember just thinking like, come on, like how how crazy do you have to be to think that the world is flat, you know? So I went on YouTube and I was like, okay, what do they say? Like, I got to see what they're saying. So I looked up flat earth, you know, video on YouTube, just to like laugh, you know? And of course I had a laugh and I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. It's just completely insane. But after I did that, then I started getting, oh, you might like, you know, this video about uh, aliens, or you might like this video about nine 11 being like an inside job. So I started like watching those. And of course, the algorithm loves to like feed you with more. But like I said, I'm saying this only because, you know, in, in the beginning when I remember seeing so many nine 11 videos, they were, they were everywhere, but now you, you can't go on YouTube and find a nine 11 conspiracy video. Like they've all been wiped and they've all been taken off. Um, very difficult to find. Uh, and that, that right there is just an example of how, how it's been controlled and, and, and monitored since when I first started watching it. So, so I don't think that, you know, uh, 
there's certain narratives that they're they're definitely not going to allow to be portrayed openly and then we saw everything with covid and you know all of all of the uh, restrictions on what people could say what they couldn't say um and don't get me wrong i'm not i'm not trying to say hey like everybody should just be able to say whatever they want and, and go out there and spread misinformation like we have to be controlled to a certain extent but in that sense it's i just don't know why the government's telling us we have aliens <laughs> or why we have alien technology <laughs> um it is it just you know war games against china or is it war games against russia are they just trying to say like we do have this stuff because we think you might have like i don't know i just i, I don't know enough of that to say either way i just know that having heard all of this stuff come out from the government it makes me a little more skeptical that they actually um do have all of this stuff uh i do know you know from a military industrial complex you know us being afraid of an imposing force from an unknown galaxy uh is very much in line with uh people who like to make money and, and profit from from war and and fear you mean trying to emphasize that we should be yes so whenever that element comes in like whenever the saying like that there's a possibility of of a hostile alien uh, invasion or 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 uh you know technology that could easily escape u.s naval and air force radar you know when you start to hear this kind of narrative being pushed that that they're better like that we're outgunned that kind of thing um right then that really gives me pause because okay well, i mean i think i mean just just to uh <laughs> the counter side i think i think if they're here then it's likely that they will out be outgunning us right <laughs> probably you know yeah. <laughs> particularly if they're here without most of us noticing i mean there's some crazy stuff I, have you seen the virginia the one in brazil like no like that one is just there's a few that are really hard. Okay, Roswell, you know, is like, okay, we don't, Roswell's been so debated and like up and down, like you hear all I mean, these, having the phony video doesn't help, you know? Yeah, but, but that's the thing. The, the people that, that want to um, confuse, they, they'll put out the phony videos themselves, you know? Like, mm. Oh, yeah. The sure. will make that stuff just to like throw, you know, whatever the, the red herring or whatever. Um, but the Virginia case is so strange because there's a lot of like, personal eyewitness interview and testimony that's been kept. It was like, I think in the 2000s, the story goes that a, a UFO crashed in, in Virginia in Brazil in broad daylight. Uh, a lot of people saw it. A uh, creature got out uh, or multiple, I think two creatures went through town. The Brazilian army was basically called by the U S army to say, Hey, we, we know that we've seen like a, an alien crash uh, on our radar crashed in, in your territory. So the Brazilian army comes out. There's all this video footage. Like it really, this, this happened like an event happened mm. um, where you see the troops and the blocking of roads. And, and apparently it's like three girls like found, came across this alien in like a lot, like trying to hide out from like the troops that were trying to get it. And then like this one Brazilian officer, like basically like apprehends it. Um, he ends up dying like of really weird, unexpected causes, like in the hospital, you have interviews with like the doctor, like people saying like the smell, like the sulfur smell that these like creatures gave off, like permeated everything. In the and it's just like so much eyewitness testimony, like stuff like that makes me feel like, okay, something's going on. Like I can't 
discredit all of these civilians that are just telling their story and, and still to this day, like 30 years later, um, have this kind of like this heaviness and this weight, uh, in their story. Um, so I think something's going on, but I do think that we don't, we don't treat them nicely when they come, you know, our governments don't treat them very nicely. Um, so I don't know what their message is. You know, you always hear, there's a few other ones where you, you hear the message is always like, protect your planet. Like you guys are basically ruining things. Uh, and we're here mm. to just help you. Right. The kind of intergalactic, uh, e- eco help. Yeah. And I've, I've had a, I've had an analogy. I think I came, it's like, if you had an ant farm, like say on your desk, you know, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden all the ants just started like turning on each other and started like trying to eat each other. And like, like some <laughs> bad ants just basically went like ballistic. Like as the owner, I think you would like be like, Oh no, 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 no guys like chill. Like, Whoa, Whoa. And you try to like, you would, you would want peace like in your little project, you know, that you had on your desk. Um, or at least I would. No, I'm not a- right. I mean, not, not to mention the not, not to mention the fact that you know, maybe you have a a farm with lots of different species, and one yeah. particular species starts to wipe out all the other species, <laughs> and you feel bad, and you wouldn't want to go annihilate the bad species. You'd just be like, no, like chill, you know. So, so I could see like that the, if the the argument that you know maybe they are more advanced, and you know maybe they had something to do with our our creation. Uh, I could see them wanting to intervene, you know, once the nuclear bombs are going off and the, the rampant war and, and hardships that, that the planet's been kind of reeling with. Um, I could see them wanting to kind of come back and be like, no, 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 no. Like you guys are getting a little out of hand. And then, yeah, it's like, if you, if you are BlackRock and if you are these like massive trillion dollar organizations that are just profiting from, relentless uh you know war mongering and, and crusading and 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 weapons industries and you know how, how much does it cost to build like a jet you know how many billions of dollars these things cost like it's non-stop and it's just it's endless and it's 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 black budget it's 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 just it's insane like it's hard to even think like what we're really doing i like, guess a species when you come come down to it. and it's all because people are making money mm. so yeah if i if i created this this world and you know, was coming back. I'd be, I'd definitely want to step in and try to like just reprimand the bad actors. Um, and if I was coming back, then the bad actors probably want to shoot me down because you know they might know that I'm here to uh, you know maybe awaken uh, consciousness or, or try and help people. Um, and that doesn't jive with uh, their their profits. <laughs> so I could see that being what's going on. You know. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know how we got into aliens. <laughs> I was looking down my list of questions and trying to figure out how to segue this back into something related to me. <laughs> Apologies uh, if, if we went to, to left field. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, do you have a sense? Well, okay. So, so from what you've just been saying, you sound pretty despondent as to the, the state of public administration yeah. in the United States. Yeah. I mean, is, is it as bad? As someone talking from Europe, is it as bad as it looks? I think, I think so. I mean, we've reached a, I, th- I think it's just, it's all become so, so obvious, like how flawed it is. Um, is it something new? You know, I, I don't think it's new. I just think it's, what's new is that we can actually like see through the cracks, you know? Um, mm. um, but I don't have a solution. So I'm not, I'm not here to like gripe and complain and offer any other sort of solution. I, I think the system as a whole, uh, is, is a bit, a bit flawed. Um, so I, I tend to just not, I guess I just don't try to get too, uh, invested emotionally into it. Um, my responsibilities are at home with my kids and, and my family and, and the people I come into contact with, you know. Okay. Well, I, I've just, I've just thought of a question actually that bring us back to music, uh, which does relate to this. What's your opinion of the phenomenon of Oliver Anthony? Who's that? The guy who sings the rich men of North Richmond, no, rich men, North of Richmond song. Uh, I just, I saw like a clip of this. So what is it? I don't know anything about this. Okay, so basically he's this country, previously unheralded country singer, aged 31, who has become the first ever artist to debut a single on the, uh, number one on on the Billboard 100 without any prior charting songs ever. So the first, first single, first debut single to debut at number one in the chart ever in the history of the chart. Okay. And it's basically, uh, it's basically a sort of protest, an old style sort of protest song about the status quo. And and since this has come out, it came out like three weeks ago. Okay. He's spent most of his time trying to persuade people that he's non-partisan. So, so the Republicans desperately trying to kind of acquire him. Uh-huh. So the this, this song was played at the, uh, at the, at the debate. And, um, you know, Ron DeSantis has been trying to kind of like, you know, like co-opt him and he's been, desperately trying to push back against this but the 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 song is like it's a pretty sort of like by the numbers you know country track it's just him and him with a guitar playing it yeah but it's become this kind of phenomenon i think basically because well i mean you know these things kind of bubble up every now and then but this seems to be a particularly strong example of that you know of, of, of people just um just being extraordinarily frustrated you know with the status quo and and i guess I suppose the reason that it's kind of interesting musically and just in the concept of the, mu- of the music business is that these things just don't really happen anymore. And particularly things that are around issues, you know, like, I mean, this is a kind of like Bob Dylan level kind of, mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not, com- yeah, I'm not comparing him as an artist to Bob Dylan, but like, you know, this is a kind of 1960s style kind of like, you know, direct expression of 
you know, political frustration. And it's been kind of, well, as far as I can see, really conspicuous by its absence in a period since 2008, I think, which has been pretty awful politically, you know? Yeah. Um, is the song good? I think that's the first it's thing. It's all right. It's fine. You know, it's all right. Like, you know, it's like, I always say the song is king, you know, it's, no matter what, like I tell my students, it's like good music, like reigns, you know? So, so and that, 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 there's so many like factors that make up that good music is a very broad term, but you know, sure. Yeah, I mean it's 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 evocative. You listen to it and you can see why people like it. And yeah, it's like I'm looking at him. He's got the he's got the long beard. He's got he's playing a dobro. Um, it, there's a lot of like there's a lot of like visual like uh, synergy here that, that people can like latch on to. Um, I do think yeah, I, I I've it's funny because I've always wondered you know when would we get back to the the Dylan esque um, you know when when would it be okay? Because I think for the longest time generations now and 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 prior, I think people are so afraid to invest um, or show like they've invested, you know, into a cause or or belief. Because I, I think it it could be very uh, it can pigeonhole you. I think right away. Um, so it has to be very authentic. Uh, so he must be doing it very authentically um, for it to to resonate so so strongly. Um, you can't be you can't be bogus and try to pull the stuff off. Um, sure. I was actually, it was funny. I was texting somebody recently about like rage against the machine. And I was like, I wonder, I wonder if rage could just like, like come back and just, just be full on like rage again, you know, not, not worry about, you know, looking like they care too much or, and, and my friend was like, no, I don't think they could. You know, I think, I think that narrative is, it's, it's not, it's not possible kind of anymore to be so, um, political like in, in your musical statements yeah i mean well that's what kind of what i was getting at i mean like that stuff seems to have just gone away uh, but but it does really feel like there should be room for it yeah. you know because i we are in a, i think a, a period of like intense frustration for people and i mean rage is such a good example because that really was i mean it's it's, it's almost impossible to describe it like you know for someone who's i don't know maybe 25 now Mm-hmm. Like the, the just the visceral mm-hmm. nature of that first Rage Against the Machine record. Obviously, you can listen to it now, but like it's without the context, it you know doesn't mean a lot, mm-hmm. you know, because it really was pretty intense. Well, and it was such a combination of, of Tom Morello's like guitar playing and an effect like strategy um, mixed with uh, you know Zach's like delivery. Uh, you know, there was there's that like, really there was, intense lyrics, man. I mean, it's just like really unvarnished. You know? It's funny though, because I, I remember like we were into it in high school, and, and a buddy of mine, like we went and saw him in Detroit at Cobalt Hall. Like I think, uh, I think it was a Beastie Boys open up for them, or or maybe it was like Rage and Wu Tang, or it was like some crazy show. Um, but I remember one of my friend's moms who, who was like, like listening. She's she's like the cool mom, and we, she knew we were all into like Rage Against the Machine. And she said, she said something like, you know. Uh, He's really, he's making some good points, but is he offering a solution? <laughs> and well, we're, I mean, all like, we're all like, oh my God. Like, geez, There's definitely what? songs on that album where his solution is just armed revolution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, let's fucking like, just it's go. A, it's, a bit, uh, it's a bit elementary in its approach. Uh, but, but that was, it was perfect. That was the 90s, you know, like it's, it was, it was good for that time. And, you know, I, I, it it matters, you know. I think using music in this way it's refreshing, and I 
I would like to hear the song after we're done talking. Uh, I'm all for it. You know, I'm all for it. Uh, I guess it's just, we're so, we're so polished. And, you know, I, I, sometimes I think about the like Beatles, for example, like, you know, coming out of like bubblegum pop 1950s, you know, um, was it Skiffle was kind of the big British, mm-hmm. uh, you know, music that their, their parents listened to and, you know, and big band and just very, very gentrified, polished music. Um, and then you get the beginning, you know, of the Beatles. So the Beatles on Ed Sullivan was like 1964, I believe, 1963. Yeah, I think it was 64. Yeah. Yeah. And so here you got the mop tops all dressed in suits playing songs like I want to hold your hand or she loves you. Four years later, 1968, they released the White Album with them, with the Maharishi, like in in India taking acid, like talking about like mind expansion and four <laughs> years. Like, yeah, um, it's ridiculous, isn't like, it? It's yeah. fucked up. Like if you really think about like the how fast things moved and and the weight with which thoughts mattered and and, and culture like mattered. So what was four years ago? Like, what are we, 2023? Like, fucking, like, 2019? Like, <laughs> what? Happened? I mean, what is happening? Pandemic has happened, but, like, apart from that, I'm culturally not so much things have happened. Nothing. So, you know, maybe we've gotten better, like, at, at honing in and polishing our, our music, our pop music. Like, that's it. You know, it's like, like, we're, we're at a, a stagnant standstill, like, culturally, when it comes to to, to music and you know we're just we're we're just trying to make the thing that i think it, that sells the most and just like it 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 connects the most with people's like flat out you know like um taste buds you know like okay well how can i sell some music don't get me wrong every now and then there's like these weird flukes like like what we're seeing here with um you know oliver anthony um there's these moments of like things that pop out um that that are different um you know i would even say like billy eilish kind of like can can kind of like enter a little bit of that that different yeah, yeah. zone um and i i respect you know i told her i took my girls to see her live and i really appreciate her message and, and her her whole thing and then the songwriting's very very it's, it's nice i like it a lot um mm-hmm. and, and it's stripped down you know, it's 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 minimalized, and, and it, yeah, the, the the really early stuff I think is really great, actually. Yeah, and so like I dig that. You know, it's there are these moments, and I'm not trying to just like poo poo and down talk like modern music, but I I am always up for um, curveballs, and given that you know four years ago was not as drastic of a change as it was from 1968 to 1964. Um, it's just like, yeah, I, 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 I actually what, that time. Like, what would that feel like for that, that energy to be ripping through everybody's veins, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, there was a bit of it in the nineties, but I think with, um, I think what the line, what the nineties lacked in comparison with, with that era of the sixties, the kind of mid sixties was, was the political stuff because obviously, you know, the nineties is the era of the end of history and kind of everything's okay now. Mm-hmm. Basically, and you know that the, the, you know there were political undercurrents to you know the nineties stuff, and it would, and largely it was the start, I suppose, of the, the social justice movements, and um, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, actually, no, no, not to a lesser extent, the, the anti-capitalist movement, which I guess uh, had the wind 
taken out of its sales in the in the two thousands. But you know, th- there was stuff, but it, I think it was less urgent because I mean, the sixties was you know it had the civil rights movement, but also you had the Cold War going on and you know the Vietnam War and you know this kind of specter of you know nuclear Armageddon, and that is just an incredible mix of visceral forces, right? Mm. I mean, it really is. I mean, and also, you know, coming out of an era, I mean, I mean, you could argue coming out of centuries of, you know, cultural repression of, of people, you know, because I mean, that was really the first era where you had a, a generation of young people who could express themselves in that kind of way. Like, and, and, and arguably at a mass scale, that's the first time in the history of the world that really happened. It's true. So I guess we're not really being fair then in, in comparing today to, totally like that, the, the issues were, were new and they were, they were at least being talked about for the first time. Um, so yeah, I think that's why there was such a, a radical energy, but unfortunately, like a lot of the same issues are, are still very much in place. And sure. I think we've just gotten so. I don't say the powers that be or they, but you know, narratives have have been swayed and and controlled. I think people have learned how to um, keep us a bit more, uh, you know, calm and not so, so radicalized uh, when in reality, it's like, you know, there's still a whole lot to be pissed off about. Sure. Uh, I mean, I, I think they get, I think things getting expressed in different ways though. Now, I mean, I think, I think there's no shortage of, expressions of you know I, I guess transgression to an extent I mean that's kind of like the way I mean this is a really difficult topic to get anywhere near and I normally yeah, normally music music really <laughs> yeah 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 uh okay I'm not going to say what I was going to say actually um, <laughs> I'm just going to avoid that I always avoid that topic but I'm no I mean honestly the, the big thing is okay so how do we operate as artists now you know that's my big question is because all of that stuff we just talked about, like that's what's in my head. You know, that's, those are the issues that I think are, are important and are, are, or at least right now they're, they're, they're the things that bother me and the things that, that I want to learn more about. And I want to, you know, I want to, I want to know about AI. I want to know about what the government might be up to behind my back. I want to know about aliens and if they, if they're here or not, I want to know it's entertaining. You know, it's like, that's, that's what's entertaining me and, and keeping me, thinking and, and up at night and um how then do i as a musician you know as a career musician what do i sing about you know like i think covid and and the you know black lives matter movement and you know the the me too uh, events of the last like five years like all of that weighs very heavily on, on not just me but on society and i i think if you're not paying attention to like that narrative and that that cultural shift um then you're, you're being very naive and and you're not you're not listening you know mm. and so when you start to listen it really affects i think your goals and, and your your ambitions as as an artist or at least it did for me so i think that's been my hardest part is, is what do i sing about you know like what do i what am i why do i make music um you know why why do i sit down in the studio and, and make something I mean, are you, are you someone who uh, reacts, I suppose, in, in your work to 
larger, sort of broader issues, generally speaking? Is that something you've done? Not overtly, no. Like, I've, I've, I remember when Trump was, like, first elected, I, I think I tried to write a few, like, just, like, get some some anger off my chest kind of, like, songs. And, and I never released them. And I, I listened back, and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's, like, it's, it's so hot button, like, and it's not even, like, overt lyrics, but it's just, I knew that, okay, this was about, like, a situation. And it's, it's, it's naive and it's, it's immature of me to think that like I could, you know, compartmentalize all that into a song. And so, yeah, it's like, I don't, I don't go there. Um, but I've always liked, I'm, I'm ambiguous. I like to just kind of create my, my lyrics and my my songs. Like when I'm doing like song song, not like techno, um, but like, like vocal songs, they've always been very like just amorphous and and dreamlike, you know? Mm. Um, but as I get older, you know, I'm, it's a, I guess it's harder for me to like live in that dream state. You know, it's like um, maybe I feel like I'm I, I'm turning too much of a blind eye to like like real issues or you know real narratives. I've never written like love songs outright. Like so, because mm. that that would solve everything if I could just write love songs. <laughs> right, so that's what everybody wants, anyways. Um, but yeah, so I think that's that's my big hurdle. It's like, okay, well, what's my voice? You know, like what do I what do I even want to sing about? Like, do I care? Like if people, you know, like a song that I'm making, like, I, I just don't feel like my, well, that's another question entirely. Yeah. I don't feel like my, my drive warrants, uh, other people to listen to my music. <laughs> Whereas in the past, when I was like, even my twenties, it's like, yeah, I want everybody to hear my music. It's like, you know, a little bit narcissistic and it's like, this is for the people. This is for, my fans is for, but now it's like, yeah, I just, I want to make music that satisfies me and I can be very honest and like, okay, I don't think this music should be satisfying to other people. <laughs> I'm like shooting myself in the foot, I guess. But I mean, that's a really interesting way of putting it actually. I mean, actually the, um, what's the point, I guess is the whole thing. Right. Yeah. No, I mean the, the, the um, the, the previous, uh, podcasts are recorded today, which actually isn't going to be coming out until after this one. So I'm going to be confusing everyone by, by saying this. But they said they were very illuminating in their comment about, in a comment they made about how nakedly, I suppose, ambitious they were. Yeah. But and and particularly, you know, in the earlier part of their career. And I mean, that's not uncommon, but it's but it is quite uncommon to be. Uh, like that aware of it and they were saying that they were aware of it oh, yeah. at that time which is which I found quite striking actually because I mean like you know I mean we all want to be we all want to do well I mean that's that's normal yeah. totally but that kind of direct I guess interaction with your own hopes and dreams and your own I guess just naked ambition I suppose uh, is, is, is the term I wouldn't change the world I mean I was I was very very ambitious and and naked i think uh in mm. a sense and i'm happy i was you know there's i put so much music out early like that now I, I never would put all that out because like it just you think too much about it and I'm, I'm happy that i had that kind of naivete and that 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 youthful like who gives a fuck attitude about the first like 10 15 years of, of my output um but yeah you can't it, that's not me now you know I, I can't i can't live like that um you know i don't i don't do all the things that i did then so yeah it's it's tough and you know, i think as the, you know i looked at bowie you know i looked at like prince bowie for example is like okay 
Bowie Bowie is a great example, I think, of of maintaining, you know, mm. that that vigor and that even up until his last record, you know, when he died, like the it's 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 mind blowing, like how much control and and foresight and and control he had like artistically and, and of a vision and, and, and artistic vision. So I think that maybe that's the high water mark. Um, but it's like, it's so hard to do that. You know, I mean, do you need all the accolades, accolades that Bowie had, you know, throughout his life? Do you need those milestones of being the first to do this or that to, to maintain that? I think that's, that's where I'm at. It's like, where do you, where do I draw inspiration from? And, and where do I like, decide uh you know it's worthy of, of sharing the world then i guess like, you just got to think okay people like my music certain people do and it's just more fine-tuned and focused and those are the people i need to make music for and, and you know i i will release music for them and do a little tour and and do my thing and you know do it all over again i chose this career i chose this path and you know unless i'm going to start that anthropology paper then <laughs> i don't think i have I don't think I have another option, uh, you know, at this point, uh, you know, it's, it's fine and well to learn about all these other things and do art and, you know, paint and, and sell some pieces here and there and get into AI and digital. But at the bottom of it all, like when it, at the end of it all, I'm, I'm a musician and don't get me wrong. I make music like every day. I love making music. The process, uh, is, is still so fun and exciting. Uh, and when you get to that that zone state, you know, where you can just kind of like let it all, let the weird stuff happen and just let it come out. It's it's just the, the back end. It's like the last ten percent, like arranging, releasing, uh, strategizing, like an album cycle. Like it's just all of that. I think has become a bit tiring and and uh, predictable in a way, you know. Cause there's a lot of young people out there doing it like that, that have that naked, like that naked ambition. And that's fun to watch. You know, that's, that's exciting. You know, that's, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to be like a Madonna and like reinvent myself every album or, you know, um, like he, there's, there's just, there's that fine line of, you know, finding that, that passion and, and deciding what is worth sharing you know, with the world. Um, I still love DJing. I, I still play, you know, I love doing audio like techno, but, but live, you know, I love, I love just jamming. Like Matthew Johnson, and I just did a live show in, in Columbia and it was like, it was one of my most like rewarding live experiences because it was just him and I like just messing around with our gear and like, and playing in front of, you know, a couple thousand people. And it's like that, that inspires me. That's fun. You know, I, I enjoy the free form, um, creation of it uh do i love like turning that into a marketing campaign and and it's like touring and strategizing I'm like no it's like no it's it's the art it's the performance like I, I appreciate that um the same i love streaming i love i love like opening my studio online and start streaming and having like cameras and talking to people in, in real time and that's something new you know like just making music in real time and just working on a loop or just messing around with things and having people ask me, Oh, what are you doing with that plugin? Or, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought of that. Or, you know, maybe you could do this. And I'm like, Oh yeah, totally. It's like that interaction is very rewarding. And I, I appreciate that. So I still love music, you know? Um, 
heard like Zip and Ricardo play in Detroit and you know I'm a big fan always of, of those guys playing and and there's like moments where like Ricardo will play a song and it's like yes it's like that's the techno that I love like that that makes me want to go back to the studio and like make a song like that could be played in that DJ set so it's still there you know that that unknown thing that just kind of keeps me going um but it's just the business end of it and side like the, the the back end is maybe because i did it you know like i had success I, I i did for a long time um i think i i proved myself a lot of things i wanted to do and i think i reached a lot of people i released a lot of music and so i think that part of it is just a bit Monday. Maybe I just need a good manager, Paul. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so the question in my mind as you're saying all that is how um, how significant has being, I mean, you've put out most of your music yourself, right? On, on Ghosty or on one of the labels. I mean, I, there have been others, but that's, that's yeah, always foremost. Most of it is there. I mean, how useful, like in hindsight, mm-hmm. has that been unambiguously good i mean obviously it's good in the sense that you own it all but like i mean in terms of your actual creativity and you know the way you think about music and in, in, in the context of what you've just been saying yeah is that yeah i wonder i wonder if i had ever like maybe didn't did a, a, a license or, or gotten signed to like a, a like a bigger label or like an xl or like a, you know mm. something where, where i didn't quite know the label owner uh, as well um mm-hmm. you never know i mean the, I, I don't want to get caught up in coulda, woulda, shoulda, but um, yeah, I mean, maybe that 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 more business like approach to recording an album, um, you know, maybe have would have changed things a little bit. But I have worked with other other organizations, and it never works out the right way. I think I have. <laughs> right. I have such a great relationship. Yeah, I, th- I think from my own perspective, I, I have a because I mean, I've certainly done basically all my stuff myself, and yeah. I have a what is probably a over romanticized view of the alternative reality where I just kind of like beaver away and until, until it's great. And then some A&R falls in love with my output and, and markets it in an extremely effective way that I've never been capable of. Right. I don't know. Well, I remember Radiohead, like I think the story was for kid a, when they first like showed it to the label, they, uh, was it like the cliffs of Dover or something like they, they all like, they got everybody, got everybody on a bus and they gave them like headphones and they drove them over like this beautiful, like scenic, like seaside route. And like the whole A&R team and the label like heard Kid A for the first time, like listening to headphones in this bus. So I think knowing that that would be your, what you're up against, you know, <laughs> as an artist and I'm sure drove some of the decisions in Kid A like even further, you know? So, so there is that like us against the world mentality um when you kind of do have that 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 the hand that feeds you kind of like oh you gotta you gotta turn in the the record it's gotta be good um so to think that far in advance like how are we gonna show it to them like how are we gonna how are we gonna win them over um but that was 20 years ago i mean it's crazy uh a lot lot different i will say tom york had a great quote like uh, amidst all this i always remember it this was during In Rainbows. He said, uh, throw, uh, making music these days is like throwing a pebble into a waterfall. Um, mm. And so I think that has always kind of resonated with me as well. Yeah. And if it was like that, then then it's kind of the waterfall's got significantly bigger. 
in the intervening period. Like, wasn't what are the Spotify numbers? I, I heard there's like there's like forty percent of the music on Spotify has only like been streamed like one time or something. Like, it's yeah. well, I would say, isn't it? It's some it's tens of thousands of tracks going up every day. Yeah, uh, and quite a lot of that is um you know just white noise and that kind of stuff, which is, I think is something they're trying to sort out. I think it's, I've read a story, yeah, I've been reading something about the kind of various attempts to game streaming platforms using that sort of thing. But I mean, mm. this, is, this is a rod they've made for their own back, so let's not feel too sorry for them. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, you know, I think it's just just the, the volume um, I mean, by which I mean, you know, the amount of music that's, yeah. that's out there is it's just crazy. And you know, and I kind of like, I'm, I'm always slightly ambivalent about it because I mean, on the one hand, it means that lots of people are making music and that's great. And you know, totally. making music is great. And people expressing themselves creatively is great. Like hundred percent. Can't say, you can't tell people not to do that. But on the other hand, you know that most of it is terrible because, <laughs> because <laughs> just by definition, right? So I'm, I'm constantly searching for a, you know, a, a greater efficiencies, if I can use that term. Yeah. You know, to enable people to cut through the noise and find the the really good stuff, because you know that if there's if there's x thousands of tracks being uploaded every day, then there's definitely some unbelievable music which no one's ever hearing, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's fun. Like, there there should be more opportunity to find because it's, it's hard to find unknown music. Like, really hard. If you want, like, you, they don't want you to. You know, it's like sometimes I just go on YouTube and like. You just put in like a, like a, a stream of numbers or, or letters that make no sense and just see what pops up, you know? Mm. And that's kind of like the way you can just like, oh, here, here's a v- video that only has like five views, <laughs> you know? Um, but it's other than that, it's like, it's really hard to, like, they're keeping you locked in to. Well, they have no incentive for, for you to, to do that. Yeah. You know, I, guess, I think that's what it is. I don't think that's, it's, um. I don't think they're sitting in a boardroom and saying people shouldn't listen to new music. Like it's just, it's just not financially advantageous. And at the end of the day, these are companies, and you know, fair enough, everyone's trying to make a living. But you know, it's the 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 incentives just aren't there at all. True. You know, and I think like you know, I think if these things were designed a little bit better, and but again, like why would they be? But there's, I think if if there is to go back to AI, maybe there's a maybe there's a use case there because I mean, I I do think that there's Mm -hmm. there is appetite. Amongst real music fans, because that's—I mean—that's—that's that's a that's a separate question. Is like, you know, to, to what extent are people who listen to music? What, what percentage of the people who listen to music are real music fans? But to, to the extent that they 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 do exist, you know, those people really want new music. Yeah. Like that's the nature of those people, right? <laughs> they definitely want it. Yeah, that's so, not a bad idea. There's got to be a, like maybe a system in place, like a, whether it's AI or something that could like help you dig deeper and, and find some. Because I mean, think about outsider music and over the years and. You know, all the stuff that like makes really good sampling is, is it's like people are trying to find very obscure, like mm-hmm. world, uh, you know, instrumental records, like things that just did not survive the test of time. And because those are just like the flukes and like the, the weird things. And but that's what like sometimes gets us going, you know, so it makes us feel good. And I'm sure there's like, I'm sure there's a lot of that out there right now. So yeah, we just got to find that weird stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay, since we're time constrained, let me uh, direct us back on something directly related to 
previous episodes, which is your involvement in the minimal scene. I mean, we're getting very, we've just been very generalist for an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. But from what you said earlier, mm-hmm. it sounds like it was totally accidental that you found yourself in the middle of minimal. Is, is, is that accurate? I yeah, I don't know. I mean, I definitely willed a certain extent. I remember the first time I heard a, was it, uh, get pearlinized compilation. I was in Ann Arbor and Tad Mullinex, the Dabry was working at the record store and he said, here, check this out. Um, and it, it was like, that was a big light bulb for me. Um, cause before that, I think I was still trying to make, I had an MPC and, you know, starting getting computer production, but I was still trying to make like tribal house and, and like dance, like the, the dance records that I'd kind of like, like been into like a little bit French house and, but it wasn't clicking, you know, it wasn't like, it didn't, didn't feel right. It didn't feel rewarding. And my results weren't that good. Um, and then I heard this and I heard Perlon and I learned about Clang and Playhouse and all the stuff coming out of Germany, which I think was like, you know, the, the forefathers of the, this minimal thing that we're starting to talk about. And it just like, it, it was music. It was like, it was musical. It was fun. It was a little bit tongue in cheek. Um, it was smart and it was groovy and it had like, it was like funk. It was like, there was just something about it. It was just like so enticing and inspiring. And that's, that changed the way that I made music. So I, I went right back and just started trying to do my version of all that. And, um, you know, I ended up hooking up with Zip and Rich, Richie Houghton and, you know, kind of the, the rest of the decade was history for me. Like I just, I made a lot of that music and, put music out on Perlon minus. Um, was that just a result of you saying hello to them? Absolutely. Yeah, I remember I saw Rich like in an airport in Detroit um, and Derek Plazeko actually was his sound guy at that time. Uh, and Derek had a CD of mine of some of this music that I was talking about. And I think Derek had played it for him and, and Sam and I, Sam Valenti from Ghostly, were, we were flying back from Winter Music Conference like 2001. And at the baggage claim, I saw Rich like, still you know shaved head like walking fast trying to like get out of there and i went up and said hey you know richie it's, it's matt deer and so oh, you're the guy that derek played me a cd of he's like oh, i really like your stuff it's cool um and i was like oh my god <laughs> rich likes my music uh and then from there it's like yeah the, the release for false the first false record got kind of cemented and then i think that next year at the movement festival in detroit Paxile brought out Zip and Sammy D and Ricardo and um, we were all hanging out at the Paxile kind of compound and I gave Zip a CD and he was like, yeah, we should do a, a release, you know, like let's, let's do something on Perlon. So for me, I was like over the moon. Like this was, it was all happening. And that was very much willing it, you know. So what year was that? No accident. <laughs> 2003, 2002 maybe. And then, yeah, so it's from there I started doing like some of that stuff and then then Audion, I think, kind of came up around the same time. I, th- I just started making stuff that was completely maximal and, and kind of the the opposite end of that with some of the first Audion records were just lots of like square waves and, you know, horribly big 909 drums and stuff. Almost as a... As a were you, were you uh, influenced by anything specifically with um, that? Yeah, about a little bit of like the dance mania stuff and kind of early like... DJ funk, like some of like the crazier Daft Punk shit. Like I think I just, I wanted like 
I was just seeing if I could like make raucous, like bendy, like Jack and techno. And, um, and yeah, that just like, I made all the songs in like a series of like maybe a few months or something. But then I realized, I'm like, okay, this is like a different thing. Like, this is not, this is not me per se. So it's a new alias. And I think I was just writing like audio at some point. I accidentally put an end at the end of it and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like a classic, classic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, that works. Um, uh, and then, yeah, so that stuck and started doing that. And so that, I think the two thousands for me was, you know, my albums, like, which were a bit more, I always just say like, that's for some of you listen to your car at home. And then I would do like audio records, which were, you know, my dance, like dance techno DJ format stuff. So yeah, it was like basically the next like 10, 15 years of my life was either playing live on stage with a backing band, like doing my, my vocal shows um, or playing like live techno and DJ sets at festivals, you know, opening up for a rich and everybody all over the world. Um, it was fun. I mean, definitely. I, I thank the scene and, and the, the global stage at that point for, for giving me like space to, to do what I do. And you know, I made some amazing friends. I'm still friends with it to this day, promoters, clubs, venues. Um, you know, like there's a family there that, that I'm so happy to have been, you know, a part of, and I still have really, really good contacts with DJs and friends, you know, like I've just known since the very beginning and, you know, we've all kind of taken this wild ride together and yeah, I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, I'm really, I'm really happy with the way it all went down. And I, I don't think I was ever too much of a flag bearer or waiver for any one scene or, or genre that I, I don't feel too like associated with one thing so much that, you know, because like, I mean, a minimal, okay, you, you get like, a yeah, no, I, I know. I, I don't think you are. I mean, the reason I asked that question is because we've had a few minimal, minimal dudes on the show recently. And it, it's, it's an area that I'm, I have to say, I'm, I'm fascinated by. It is crazy. Yeah. I remember, I remember being in Ibiza and like when I first, it was like a Black Eyed Peas song that like, came out and it had like, it had like a, a a loop or something that sounded like something that would be played by like Sven at like Amnesia. And I was like, wow, like, like this music is really, it's changing like pop music, you know, it's right. You know, like trap and everything now, like it's all that refined, like really sparse, like James Blake, Billie Eilish, even like a lot of that. I think I'm not going to credit it to minimal, but it was, it was there. Yeah. A lot of sound and a lot of risk being taken in, in productions, like by, you know, the, the, the people doing it then, um, you know, and I think that definitely like resonated and, and had an effect on popular music. Um, and, and, you know, it's hard always to say like, which came first, you know, was it, were we reacting just as much to this, like, you know, simplification of, of strategy and, and technology and stuff that was happening or, or were the Germans and, you know, these labels really pushing it forward. Um, there's still like beautiful, like low soul, Isole, like Beaumont Plage, like there's some, some amazingly, and I wouldn't say it's minimal, but it's, it's part of that, that wave and that, that first like stripping down and, and kind of removing all of the, 
the bongos, you know, and the <laughs> and the loops, uh, the brake loops and stuff that we were also accustomed to. And yeah, there's some there's some amazing musicality in, in some of those early songs. Uh, Reg by Ame, like you know, I listened to that recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. damn, awesome. so fucking cool. That of course, uh, sky was pink, you know, which I which I heard had a a TikTok moment recently. Um, right, like reviralized. I just played, you know, I played with Matthew Johnson recently, and I always think of his song "Freedom Engine" was was just such a cool, like, I don't know. I think I think people were like, we weren't afraid to be like, it was like melancholic in a way, like it was emotional, but it wasn't. Yeah, it's like there's almost like a bit of emo. I think minimal if you think about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can, I can. Yeah, like I've never, I've never evoked, I've never said that before, but now I'm thinking about it. Like there was something very, like, you know. You know, like a little like hide behind the uh, quap, the, the 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 flap of hair like hanging over your eyes and stuff. Yeah, it was eyes down, eyes yeah. down music for sure. Lots of black, lots of black. Hundred <laughs> percent. Well, listen, man. Uh, we spent too much time talking about aliens for me to ask you really about your <laughs> music. I'm not actually. You know, no. <laughs> you're gonna have to come back on the show. We're gonna have to. You know. I really appreciate. It. I'm, I'm so thankful for you. Thank you for doing what you're doing, and it's it's great that there's somebody you know creating this this platform and this this dialogue uh amongst uh, you know musicians and, and djs and stuff it's somebody had to do it and it's, it's great that you're doing it and um i had a lot of fun talking to you about it yeah that was matthew Deer talking about aliens didn't expect that at the start of that conversation but i thought that was really fun and interesting he's such a smart guy such an interesting guy and really fun to talk to so i mean as i mentioned at the end there we'll definitely have him back on for a longer one. He was a little bit pushed for time, which is the reason why I had to cut it off there. We definitely could have gone way longer. So yes, to be continued with Matthew Deer. But yeah, just really good. Really, really good. Right, we're done here. I'm not going to prattle on anymore. If you want to comment on anything we talked about, then join us on my Discord, hotflushcorners.com slash Discord. Particularly interested in what you think about the uh, Oliver Anthony stuff. That's really interesting to me. Been all kinds of conspiracy theories around that. And it's very easy to be cynical. But he seems like a fairly genuine guy to me, to be honest. But yeah, I'd love to know what you think. Hotflushacorns.com slash Discord is the place to vent your spleen about that and other things. You can also support the show on Patreon, as I said at the top. Patreon.com slash official. That'd be really nice of you. It really does help. And follow that Spotify playlist. There's a link in the show notes to that playlist, which I'm actually going to put that Oliver Anthony tune in the playlist as if it needs any more support. But yeah, this has been good. I will see you back here same time, same place next week for the next episode of the Not Diving Podcast. Thank you. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
it. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.